Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, following my chat with uh, Councillor Michael Murphy, a lot of uh, very specific questions coming into us on uh, that Care to Waterford N24 project. And I would just guide you to the information um, opportunities. Uh, Care House today between 2 and 8. Uh, the Talbot in Clonmel tomorrow between 2 in the afternoon and 8 o'clock. Moon Coin uh, Community Hall uh, on the 25th uh, between 2 and 8 and then the Carrick Hotel in Carrick and Shore on the 26th. So that's uh, what's happening there and you will get, I'm told, answers to uh, all of those various queries there. All right then, it is time to look at what's happening globally and glad to be joined as usual by Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. At Davos, uh, Thomas is, I suppose, the big thing over the last uh, few days. A lot of conspiracy about what goes on there, a lot of speculation and stuff. Most of us just aren't sure. What is Davos all about? Well, I suppose first and foremost, Fran, it is a beautifully scenic Swiss mountain village. Yeah. And and that's evident. Anybody who will seen uh, the uh, the news videos and news reports will note that, you know, it's covered in snow. It's a beautiful, beautiful vistas, beautiful slopes. But really and truly, it's a gathering of the global elite. Essentially, this is where powerful people, world leaders and business executives all come together to kind of to shoot the breeze about what's happening in the international landscape. So they'll discuss relevant topics. It's been happening for years. It happens every January. So around this time every year you have a gathering in, in Davos, Switzerland and usually the who's who of the international landscape show up there. Now this year there were a couple of notable absentees. I mean you had no President Joe Biden there. You had no Rishi Sunak. I don't think Emmanuel Macron attended either nor did Xi Jinping, the Chinese mm. Premier. Uh, and obviously Vladimir Putin wasn't going to arrive there but you had representatives from each of those places. And was this a snub to Davos this year or was it just because of the complexity of what's going on I think globally? they had other priorities. Yeah. I mean you look at Biden, he's, he's busy with Trump in the States trying to counteract Trump and, and the rest there. Yeah. Uh, similarly, uh, Rishi Sunak at home, airstrikes launched last night against the Houthis again. He's a very busy man. So practical uh, practical considerations have to be taken into account here. And that was essentially the reason why some of them didn't show. But as I said, there were delegates. Anthony Blinken, for instance, mm. the US Secretary of State, he was there. He gets around the place. He's been flying around the Middle East. He made a trip to Davos last week. And I think it was important that you had an American presence there because although Davos isn't... Uh, an international forum in the sense that it can change things. It's not like the UN, it's not like the EU, but it is a particularly significant hmm. gathering in terms of shaping kind it, of the it's conversation. It's influential, I suppose. It's influential, that it? that's yeah. the word for it. Yeah. That's the word for it. It's highly influential. And it influences not just, I think, the political elites, but the business landscape as well. A lot of you had a lot of business owners talking about the virtues and the pitfalls of AI, of artificial intelligence. That was a particularly interesting conversation. Mm. Our own Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, took part in a in a uh, a forum to discuss that, which was mm. particularly interesting to listen to him and get his views on it, because artificial intelligence is becoming an increasingly prominent topic uh, of conversation and of practical use for in the sure, workplace. For, for, for sure. Um, that coming together of commercial interests and politics, 
that's what's leading to the conspiracy theories and all of the speculation and the the anxiety, I suppose, about who's influencing who. Yeah, precisely. And and you, how you kind of have to laugh at some of the conspiracy theories. Some of them are a bit topped. Others might have a grain of truth to them. Uh, like I, for one, would love to visit Davos. It's a really exclusive event. Now, some will say it has to be, but I would argue open this up to the public a little bit more. Why not have public forums there where public, the members of the public, ordinary citizens can actually interact with these foreign leaders. Yeah, ask questions. Ask questions yeah. and actually collaborate with them and maybe create kind of a shared space for them to share ideas and, and share yeah. their thoughts because at the moment it is quite exclusive, uh, you know, and people kind of... People kind of turn their heads as that. Did you not find it interesting, Thomas, that the theme this year, what was it, rebuilding trust or trust, something about... Rebuilding, rebuilding trust, trust, exactly. Yeah. Did, did that not intrigue you? I mean, so where's the trust gone? I, suppose, uh, I, I don't know, was the trust ever even there yeah, in the first place? Yeah. That's the real question. And yeah, that's precisely it. I mean, there is a lack of trust, I think, between between the, the elites, we'll call them the mm. elites for now, yeah. and the ordinary working people. And that is one of the reasons why people like Donald Trump are doing so well in the United States at the moment. And we're seeing the, the rise of far-right parties across Europe, across the international landscape. Uh, Narendra Modi in India, another one to rose to prominence. He had a very significant event yesterday. So we're seeing this growing detachment between between ordinary people and working citizens and it's fueling populism it's actually fueling it's it's adding fuel to the fire in terms of the movements like Trump's movement because he has gained the ability to connect with the ordinary voter uh, and say what you like about him but he is a skilled politician when it comes to connecting with with ordinary voters and to to getting his message through to the ordinary citizen it is frightening then the repercussions of that uh, but events like Davos probably don't help the situation because they are viewed as very centred towards the elite. For for sure, and very complex too. And a lot of the issues, climate change, needless to say, huge in Davos. Hugely prominent, time. and it yeah. had to be, and it is every year. And and yeah. too right it is because it's such an important issue. But we'll we'll you know you mm. can make the argument that we're still just not doing enough. I mean the Paris Accord, and then of course if you, have, I'm digressing here, but if Trump gets back into the White House. I have all sorts of fears for the faith of the planet because, you know, his stance on climate change is indifferent, to say the mm. least. But it, a lot of what, well, certainly what I heard from Davos about agriculture worried me greatly. And I'm and I'm not a farmer. So for farmers out there, they must be very concerned about what they've been hearing, yeah, particularly new, from John Kerry, I suppose. Yeah, indeed. John Kerry being the US climate yeah. envoy, uh, a prominent politician. Yeah, I saw him interviewed during the week. It is quite ominous because the agricultural sector does represent a significant share of global emissions. There's no point denying that. It's just a reality. At the same time, when you have kind of sustainable models like we have in Ireland, you can argue that there are many advantages to agriculture. So there, there are two sides to every coin. There are arguments to be made on either side. Agriculture is a particularly difficult one. I think it's the... It's the large-scale agricultural farms and that, the, the, the ones taking place in Brazil and in countries across the globe which are inflicting the real damage. Now, in Ireland, 
it still accounts for a large share of our emissions. There's no point in denying that. In fairness to farmers, I don't think they will deny that either. But they will emphasise that they're doing their utmost uh, to mm. uh, to reduce carbon emissions and probably doing a pretty good job, I think, in yeah, fairness I think, to them. I think most people will be in agreement. But I can understand after what I heard why they might be very anxious about the future. Yeah, farming, precisely. Uh, precisely. Where, where that is concerned. All in all, did a message emerge for you from, from Davis? Did, it did kind you? of turned out to be a little bit of a damn squib in the end. Yes, it, I kinda, thought so. it, it was unclear. It, usually you have these groundbreaking statements. Maybe you have a landmark speech. And maybe it was the absence of Biden, the absence of Macron that contributed to this. But you didn't really have any breakthroughs on the key international issues. You know, we have no solutions to the war in, in Israel or mm. in Gaza. No solutions to the war in Ukraine. Uh, various other mm. conflagrations around Zelensky the planet. Zelensky was there, of course. Zelensky yeah. was there, yeah, yeah, yeah. pleading for more, uh, for more help and ensuring that that crisis is not forgotten. And that is a very real danger. So a great report on BBC last night how the Ukrainian army are are struggling for manpower and struggling for artillery power now uh, and that has to be a real concern and it has been overshadowed by the war in the Middle East. There is no point in denying that but it's still very much an active yes. and brewing conflict and a dangerous conflict for Europe. And before we leave it just to go back to your initial comments uh, that it is elitist and of course all over social media uh, I, I suppose the, the irony of, of the fact that the hypocrisy that these guys are jetting in on private jets into yeah. into this beautiful, gorgeous place and telling us how we should live our lives. Yeah, in they're terms not of taking Ryanair yeah. budget budget airlines, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. That is there is an irony in that. Yeah. And I think where leaders have to be put to question on that or you have to question yeah. their sincerity because actions do speak louder than words ultimately. Uh, and when you have the, that amount of fuel, that amount of fossil fuel usage just in getting to the place in the first place, uh, it does kind of send out the wrong message. It, it, it so. does, but I mean, it's the very same here. Now, now I'm digressing now. But uh, to see Eamon Ryan ready to shake hands with the uh, Chinese Premier uh, arriving in this huge uh, aeroplane, uh, China, as you know, what are are they the, the worst in terms? Of Probably the damage? worst emitters globally, but we were yeah. too concerned about the beef deal with them. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, which is... Uh, anyway, anyway, as as I say, I digress. Talk to me about what's happening in Northern Ireland, will you? Because, again, uh, more sort of... Yeah, chaos. More stalemate chaos. up there. Yeah. Stalemate and chaos. And it really is chaotic now. This week, last week, we had the largest public sector strikes in history, I think, to take place, or certainly in a matter of decades. And it all stems from... The fact that the Stormont executive is not up and mm. running. Uh, and the longer it remains shut, the more the people of Northern Ireland will continue to suffer. And for clarity, Thomas, are the monies available for the people who were striking? Is it the, the case that Stormont is not up and running? And, that's, that's and that is preventing okay. the, the yeah. release of funds to them. So it has been released in other parts of the UK yes. because they have stable and functioning governments in, say, Scotland, Wales, uh, the UK, England itself. Uh, but because the Stormont executive is not up and functioning, uh, there is no way of dispersing the funds. You have civil servants running departments. So you have these civil servants running around the place. These are supposed to be working under uh, the politicians who are effectively trying to run the country up there uh, and doing their utmost to to keep the ship afloat. Uh, But they're struggling. And they are struggling. There's no point in denying that. And 
the public are really becoming mm. angry and aggrieved about it. There is no sign that Jeffrey Donaldson is, that Jeffrey Donaldson being the leader of the Democratic Unionist mm. Party, the main opposition party, he seems reluctant. The DUP seem reluctant to go back into power sharing, principally because Sinn Féin is now the largest party up there and Michelle O'Neill would be given the job of First Minister, which is symbolic, it has to be and remembered. Is that more the case that that's what's behind the reluctance of the DUP to go into Stormont, the fact that Sinn Féin would be, uh, have, have the first ministership. Yeah, is that, I think is that what it's about? And symbolism plays a huge yeah. part of it because the first and deputy first ministers are equal in terms mm. of their powers. Yeah. Uh, they're actually... Uh, the roles are, are egalitarian. They, they do the same things, essentially. It's just the First Minister has that symbolic uh, prominence as as the first citizen, I suppose, up there. And Michelle O'Neill would be slated to become mm. the First Minister if Stormont gets back into operation because Sinn Féin is now the largest party. And that has unsettled many in the DUP. You can see why. You can see why. When there are, you know, rumours circulating about Irish nationalism and the prospect of an independent 32-county Ireland, why wouldn't the GOP be afraid? You do have sympathy for them because... Nobody mm. wants to see division, those you, old wounds. You might be sitting on your own in Tipperary having sympathy for, well, <laughs> for the DUP. Well, I, I could, I'll retract that comment, yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey Donaldson, maybe. Uh, yes, but in fairness to Donald, Donaldson him, himself, would he be softer in terms of, like, I mean, is, is it... Is it the, the, the others in his party that really would be I'm driving the thinking, hard line? On, yeah, on and that's motivated, in my opinion, because John Donaldson is one of the softer voices. Yes. Even on Brexit, he took a slightly more nuanced approach than some of his party colleagues. You then had these hardcore within the DUP, kind of hardcore cohort of voters inside there and cohort of politicians who are really pushing a, mm. an anti-Ireland line, a, a pro, pro-UK uh, anti-EU stance and they are really prominent within the party and Geoffrey Donaldson listens to his party members he has to so he is dictated by the grassroots members of the party they're not the only unionist party in town of course you have the Ulster Unionist Party led by Doug Beattie you have the traditional Ulster voice which is led by a man called Jim McAllister who are even more extreme sure. now they're, they're yeah. a very small faction albeit but they are even more extreme than the DUP themselves uh, and would take even more extreme positions so it's very interesting to see the dynamics of it. And, uh, and what about the the Northern Irish uh, Secretary uh, Heaton Harris? I mean, how how is he performing throughout this? Yeah, he, not well. In 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 short, not well. He has uh, he he is threatened to intervene. He has sort of kind of put his hand in to intervene at times and. And done so reluctantly. He has failed to get the assortment of executive back and running, up and running. Julian Smith, the man who was in there a couple of years ago, I think has been the best Northern Ireland secretary that I've come across. He worked with the likes of Simon Coveney to restore yeah. the executive in, I think it was 2021, Christmas 2021. And they've got up and running for a while back then. Heaton Harris, this new guy, is... Uh, I won't say he's indifferent to, to Stormont, but certainly his efforts aren't being met with results. He is, he's not managing to resurrect the executive. He's not managing to, to inspire anyone that he's able to resurrect the executive. So, mm. you know... And, uh, a Brexiteer, wasn't he? A Brexiteer. Brexiteer. A Brexiteer. Yeah. Yeah. Like Rishi Sunak. Rishi Sunak yeah. was also a Brexiteer. And Sunak will have been keeping an eye on this, but it's not the main priority in Downing Street right. at the moment. And I presume that Dublin has to be very nuanced uh, for fear of adding fuel to the fire. As in always. Terms of their, As their, always. Their and it is a, it's a particularly difficult for Leo and Mial Martin. It, it is a particularly difficult one, Northern Ireland, because you have to be seen to, to express an opinion, I suppose, to get your opinion and your point across. 
but there's also an element that you can't intervene excessively uh, and you yes. can't stick your hand in too much so it is the, they have to tread on thin ice when they're making comments about Northern Ireland but I mean no doubt they will be concerned as as will everybody else down here when they see these massive public sector strikes it doesn't bode well for Northern Ireland for the future of Northern Ireland because the sooner that executive is back up and running the better for everyone who is concerned well, that's for, that's for certain. Um, as usual, we've almost run out of time. Whenever you and I get chatting, we, we sort of run over time. So will you just tell us what we should be looking out for uh, over yeah. the coming week or so? Plenty of, plenty of things happening. Plenty yeah. of things happening. Can Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the European Commission, she is predicted to announce her candidacy for a second term soon enough. Uh, I think within the next month or so, that should become clear. And she is all but almost certain uh, to announce uh, a, second, a second run at How the European did- did she survive? Yeah, how did she survive? That is the question, because she made those controversial statements and actions in relation to Israel. Uh, standing shoulder to shoulder. Standing with, shoulder to shoulder, essentially, yeah. with Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel. It sparked the ire of many politicians across Europe, including members of her own European People's Party, including many other German citizens. She's a German herself. But she has managed to survive that. I think she's a very industrious character. She has a... You know, she has a hard work ethic, is said to sleep in her office in the Berlimont building uh, overnight, uh, such is her work ethic. So she's a real goer and she's a real doer. And in fairness to her, she presided over Europe during the time of a pandemic, uh, a brutal war, which is still ongoing. Uh, she has a number of things going for her and a number of achievements which she can tout. Uh, but she is kind of lucky to still be in the post there. Very interesting. Um, we spoke about climate change uh, earlier on when we were talking about Davos, the EU got its first uh, climate report card. Um, it's not good. It's not that? good at all, no. And, I mean, these are signs that uh, things like the Paris Agreement, the, the Paris Accord, the oblig- our obligations are not being met, essentially. It's not, it's not time for Green Deal fatigue just yet. We still have... I think there is still a window of a couple of years to... To, to offset emissions and to bring them down. I don't think it's as imminent as as maybe people will have you think. We had the summit of ours in Dubai, the COP summit at the end of last year. There was a little bit of progress, a little ray of sunshine at the end of that, which would suggest the governments are slowly, very slowly and gradually moving towards uh, a more sustainable, a more sustainable model. But essentially, this this recent report card published about the EU was all bad results, uh, and you know it didn't bode well for for the continent's uh, prospects either. Interesting. And uh, just uh, finally and briefly, if you would, well, what's happening with uh, Mr O'Leary and Ryanair? Yeah, I always like a good Michael O'Leary story because he always, <laughs> he says it as it is in fairness to yeah. him. He's come out now, there's a new uh, kind of a proposal to launch a single European sky, which would be like the common traveling area of the skies, if you like. Uh, it would allow jets to... Uh, to fly around European airspace unhindered and and access the various airports, which they can they can essentially do anyway. But O'Leary has in, has argued that it has kind of fragmented since 2004, since it was first introduced. So he's trying to get that proposal put back on the table, uh, and that is the essence of this one. He's controversial, Michael O'Leary, but sometimes he can get it right. And when he is when he has an opinion, he will state it, and he will state it clearly and unequivocally. That's what he's doing here. He's putting pressure on EU leaders to uh, to live up to, to expectations and you know he's probably he's probably it's probably warranted his calls 
Interesting as always. Thanks, Thomas. We'll try and see uh, where the budget is concerned if we can send you to Davos. Uh, next yeah, time. hopefully. I'm, I'm waiting for my, my credentials <laughs> to arrive. You, you being one of the elites of North it's Tipperary. Thomas, always a pleasure. Thanks very Thanks, much indeed. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.